You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. Last week we had a topic, forgiveness, and the kingdom again is different. We don't take revenge, we forgive. And in the kingdom of God, we live to give. The world will tell you, get all you can, can all you get, and hold on to it for all you're worth. And the kingdom is very different. The kingdom is a message of whatever you've been given, steward it and give it, share it. Uh, which is quite different than what you'd get in the world. There's a great book that uh, I'd recommend guys to read, or anybody to read for that matter, but it's a book by Patrick Morley called The Man in the Mirror. Uh, one time we gave this to every man who came for Father's Day, but uh, I'd encourage you to pick it up. I-, I like his book because it's really a balanced approach on a lot of things. He has a whole chapter on money, really balanced approach. And here's the deal. For every mile of road, you know the saying, there's two miles of ditch. And in the middle of the road, there's something called stewardship. On the other side of the ditch, there's something called poverty mentality. And he talks about that where you think, oh, you know, I'm very spiritual if I'm poor and I sell all my stuff. They take that one scripture of Jesus talking to the rich man. And he said to rich young ruler, go sell all you have and come follow me. So they think, okay, that's what I have to do to be spiritual. I sell all I have and I'm poor. And they kind of choose that as their scripture for life. There's a lot of verses about giving and money in the Bible. There's 500 verses on prayer. That's a lot. We believe in prayer. Prayer is really important. But surprisingly, there are 2,350 or so verses on money and possessions. The Bible has a lot to say about it. One of the reasons God has a lot to say about it, money's his biggest competitor. Uh, because he said, you cannot serve God and money. Uh, you it's impossible. It's not a moral choice. It's an impossibility. You can't do both. And so you can, because there's so many verses, you can cherry pick about any number of verses and you can build kind of your own case. Anytime you talk about giving and talk about money and possessions, you're liable to step on somebody's toes. Everybody's an expert on it because we all deal with money, so we all have our opinions on it. Today I'm going to try to stick very close to the Bible, very close to the Scriptures, and hopefully it will help all of us be better stewards of what God's given to us. So again, down the middle of the road is this theology, if you like, on stewardship. On one side of the road, there's this ditch of poverty mentality. And then the other side of the ditch, he said, there's this extreme prosperity ditch where where the view is, well, if you you had faith, you'd be rich. And so that's another side of the ditch. But he says, down the middle of the road, there's this theology on stewardship. And I'll read you just a little bit what he says out of his book. He said, stewards believe God owns and controls everything. Possessions are a privilege and not a right. The steward gives up his rights. He reads scriptures to say possessions are trust given in varying proportions depending upon the innate God-given abilities he has and his faithfulness and obedience to follow biblical principles. The steward believes prosperity results from faithful administrating his talents as given by God in his sole discretion. His preoccupation is not with accumulating wealth or renouncing it, but with wise, being wise in the conduct of his affairs. His goal is to be like the man described in Psalm 112. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor." So I think that's the best track down the middle of the road, and that's where we're going to go today. Message is give versus greed. And uh, we're going to use Mark or Luke chapter 12. If you have Bibles, go there. We're going to take a parable. Lots of scriptures, obviously, with 2,000, over 2,000 verses. We could pick a lot of verses. So today we're just going to use Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 13 to 21. This is a parable of the rich fool. 
Jesus is telling this parable to a bunch of people. They're outdoors. People are following Jesus. He's teaching outdoors. Uh, The disciples are there. And we read in verse 1, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude, that means so many people that couldn't count, had gathered together, so they trampled one another. So they were so hungry to hear what Jesus had to say, he began saying to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He talks a bit about Pharisees. He talks a little bit about uh, making sure that you are not coveting and so forth. And in the middle of that, a guy says, Jesus, I've got a question for you. And he's pretty bold because a lot of people, and he's, he's asking the Lord a question. And the question is this, I need you to settle a dispute because my brother and I were fighting about the inheritance that comes in our family, and my brother hasn't given me my share. Will you settle this dispute? A lot of people are there. Maybe he asked the question because his brother was there, and now his brother would hear it from Jesus. He's okay, brother, now you heard it. Now you better give me my share. I'm not sure what his motivation was, but in amongst all those people, this guy says, can you help me with my inheritance problem? Jesus basically tells him, no, I'm not going to do that. This isn't the time, the place to do that, but I will tell you a parable. So he tells this guy a parable. The disciples hear it. Everybody hears it. The parable of the rich fool. So here we go, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Then one from the crowd asked him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed, beware of covetedness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. This is in a nutshell. That's the big idea. Take heed of covetedness, or be careful about greed. And then the second point is, life consists of more than your possessions. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain man yielded plentiful. In other words, big crop. And he thought within himself, saying, Hmm, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. He's got more than one barn. He's got barns, plural, lots of barns. He said, Then I'll store up all my crops and my goods. Not just his crops, but his goods. This guy had a big crop. When a farmer gets a bumper crop, it's a big deal. He's pretty excited. So the guy gets a bumper crop, and he's got goods. So he says, I'm going to tear down my barns. My three-car garage is not enough. I need a five-car garage. I got a storage unit. My storage unit is not enough. I'm getting four storage units to store all my stuff. So he's getting all his stuff in the bins. Then it says in verse 19, I will say to my soul, now he's speaking to himself, soul, you have many goods laid out for many years. Good job, soul, good job. Then he says, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, retire. You've done really good. Now all you have to do is just go on a cruise, have a holiday, buy a condo, buy a house, get a house in the south. I hear they're really cheap down south right now. So buy it now, take ease. You have enough to be at ease the rest of your life. Doesn't that sound like the world? Doesn't that sound like the way we operate? Get a break, buy a place, chill out, go on a cruise, relax, retire, take life easy. That sounds like the world. Then God comes along and messes it all up, and he tells a story here. But God said to him, God says, fool. See, that's very different. It's upside down. Most people say, wow. You sold your stock options? Wow. You got that bonus? Wow. You bought a house in South Vancouver for $500 a few years ago? You just sold it for $2 million? Good for you. Wow. What are you doing? Well, I'm I'm banking it. I'm going on a holiday. I'm I'm retiring, man. I'm set. And God would say, fool. (laughs) 
But wait a minute, fool, it sounds brilliant. You bought at the right time, you sold at the right time. You're saying, fool? It's not foolish what you did. It's foolish what you're going to be doing with your money. If you're just thinking, well, I get to retire, play it easy, eat, drink, and I'm just going to relax, God says, no, that's a fool because you are just steward the big increase you got. So God says, soul, you have many... Uh, God says to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? In other words, says, today's your appointed time to die. You got all this stuff. Where's it going to go? What are you going to do with it? Now you're going to give an account for it. Then verse 21, Jesus says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lays up treasure, it's about me. It's about my cars. It's about my shoes. It's about my clothes. It's about my stuff, rich toward their treasure instead of rich toward God. So the question is, are we rich toward God or are we rich toward stuff? Where, how would I tell? Well, you'd go to your bank account and you'd look, where did my money go? And that would tell you what you're rich toward. If it went to helping others, then you'd be rich towards God. God said, help others. Be a blessing. Give. If it just was spent on you, then you're rich toward things. So it's a test that you have to do, and you do it with God. You know, God watches the way we give. And we already took up the offering, so it's over, so you don't have to think about it right now. But <laughs> he, he does watch the way we give. I don't watch the way you give, but God watches the way you give. They were standing by the temple one day, Jesus and his disciples. The widow walks by, poor, and she put two pennies, basically, in the offering. And Jesus points to his disciples and said, that lady gave more than anybody here. And you think, what? She only gave like two pennies. And, but it was, she gave all that she had. She gave even out of her lack, she gave. And so he recognized what she gave. In the book of Acts, there's a guy by the name of Cornelius, an Italian. And uh, one day he gets God's attention by his prayers and by his generous giving. As a result of it, Peter heads up there and explains to him the way of Christ, the way of the gospel, the good news. The gospel's good news. That's all that means is good news. Of course, all that's included in it. But he was recognized, remember, by God because of his giving. So giving, the lack of it or the abundance of it gets God's attention. This guy, the fool, he gets God's attention because he's been stingy. Much better to get God's attention because we've been generous in our giving. God is a giver. That's his DNA, and that's our DNA, to be givers. The challenge is we live in a world that's super greedy because it's all about stuff. We rank people by how much they have. You go to Forbes magazine, it'll rank all the wealthiest people. If you go to the BC Business Magazine, it'll rank the wealthiest companies. We rank people by what they have, what stuff they have. If we see somebody, we see what kind of purse they're wearing, what kind of shoes they're wearing. We, we kind of, okay, they must be worth this much. And we, we tend to do that. And we have, of course, a, a whole culture of consumerism that tells you if you buy this, eat this, wear this, then you will be happy and all the rest of it. And God's saying, wait a minute, be rich toward me. That's where the real joy is. Learn to be a giver and watch out for greed. He puts a big warning label on it. He puts a big warning label over stuff. He puts a big warning label over money. Why? Why would God put a warning label over money? I'll tell you why. Because it's powerful. Money 
is really powerful. It can change lives. It can build countries. It can be, and money, by the way, is morally neutral. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. A gun is morally neutral. A police officer can use it for good or a criminal can use it for something evil. It's, it's just a gun. Money is just money. It's morally neutral, but it is powerful. So God, in his wisdom, puts a big warning label over money. Warning, be careful. Now, if you buy a microwave, you read the warning instruction before you use a microwave. If you buy a lawnmower, you read the warning instruction. It'll say, do not stick your foot under the lawnmower. Because if you do, you will lose your foot. Big warning over it. That doesn't mean don't use a lawnmower. It just means read the warning label before you use it. And God says, I, it's not that I don't want your possessions or money. I'm not against it. The Bible's filled with great examples of men and women that were, Lydia was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. They were wealthy people. But there's a warning label that comes with finances. And the warning is this. In the Message Bible, it says, don't even let a little bit of greed come in. That's a big warning label. Be careful about greed. Big, big warning label about that. I came across some warning labels that I thought were interesting. On a Sears hairdryer, there was a warning label, do not use while sleeping. I don't know. That's the only time I work on my hair is in my sleep. So <laughs> Obviously, it didn't work too well. Uh, there was a warning label on a bag of Fritos. You could be a winner. No purchase necessary. Details inside. Evidently, this is a shoplifter special. You don't have to purchase it to be a winner. Uh, there was a warning label on a uh, box of tiramisu dessert. And on the bottom of the box, it's printed, do not turn upside down. Oops, too late. I already turned it upside down. Uh, there is a warning label on Marks and Spencer's bread pudding. Product will be hot after heating. As night follows day, yes, it would be hot. Uh, there is a warning on the packaging of Rowenda iron. This is a clothes iron. It said, do not iron clothes on body. I know this would save time, but it's not working very good. Uh, there's a warning label on, and this is a news flash. This is really this is a news flash warning on Sansbury peanuts. Warning contains nuts. Well, that's what I wanted. Okay, um, on American Airlines packet of nuts. Here's the instructions: open bag, eat nuts. Here's my favorite, though. Here's my favorite. Child's Superman costume, warning label. Wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. <laughs> Just see some kid. I, I think I blame the parents for that more than I blame. Yeah. How about this? Warning on a palm olive dishwashing liquid. Do not use on food. Hey, mom, we're out of syrup. It's okay, honey. Just grab the palm olive. <laughs> it's green. It looks good. Uh, yeah, there's lots more. There is a warning on a portable stroller. Caution, remove infant before folding for storage. <laughs> Where's Johnny? Oh, he's in the stroller. <laughs> Didn't you read the warning label? Don't fold it. There was a warning label on a box of rat poison. Warning, has been found to cause cancer in laboratory mice. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> let's kill the rats and the mice. Anyhow. So, warning labels. God puts a warning label on money, on possessions. He said, be careful. He didn't say, don't use it. He just said, be careful. You can use your lawnmower. You can use the microwave, but there's a warning label. Be careful. It is, and his warning label is simply this. Be careful of greed. Uh, there's a verse, I think I put it in your notes. 
Uh, did I get it in there? I'm trying to find it here. Yes, Luke 12, 15, out of the Message Bible. Speaking to the people, he went on, take care, exclamation mark, protect yourself against the least bit of greed, protect yourself. You know, when you go to a job site, if you're working on a construction job site, the first thing they give you is a safety orientation, correct? If you go on a cruise, they'll say, before we start our cruise, everybody lined up outside the cruise line or on the boat here. We're going to show you where the, the, the safety drill, where the boats, uh, or the little, uh, what do they call the little boats they lower down? The lifeboats, yes, thank you. Uh, so they give you the safety drill before you get to enjoy the cruise, before you go to work on the job site, wherever you work. They always give you the safety orientation first. And God's kind of giving us a safety orientation on money and possessions. He wants you to enjoy it, just like the cruise line wants you to enjoy the cruise, but they want you to be safe doing it. He wants you to enjoy the blessings He's given to you. He just wants you to be safe doing it. And greed is so hyper-dangerous, He knows it can destroy our faith. He knows it can destroy our lives. And you know somebody, I know somebody who, who came into money, and their life was destroyed by it. He just said, I don't want your life. He's a good father. He's a good dad. What good father, good dad, doesn't want to bless his children and, and provide for them? That's our dad. He wants to bless and provide for you. It's one of the benefits of being a follower. He says, I desire for you to prosper and be in health as your soul prosper. I want you to do well, but I don't want you to be hurt by it. So here's the warnings about it. A couple of warnings that we can pick up from greed, and I, I put them there in your notes. Greed leads to some things. If we're not careful, it will lead to taking advantage of the weak, bullying, oppression, and ultimately, greed will lead to murder. People have killed, shot, destroyed people over greed. Bullying is rooted in greed, whether it be want your Nike shoes, want your lunch money, or whatever it is, bullying is usually related to greed and the love of money. Paul said to Timothy that the love of money, not money, but the love of it is the root of all evil. So where you see evil, just go digging around, and in the root of it, you'll find the love of money. Because so, it leads to, greed leads to taking advantage of the weak. Um, it also leads to an empty life, Proverbs eleven twenty four. It is possible to give freely and become more wealthy. But those who are stingy will lose everything. You may not lose all your money, but you'll lose your life. Lose your friends. Nobody wants to hang around you. It just, your life becomes very sorrowful. Because we read in Timothy, um, just jump ahead a bit here, 1 Timothy 6, 6, 9 to 11. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Paul went on to say, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, belong to God. This is your identity. Your identity isn't in your possessions, Timothy. Your identity is you belong to God. You're his child. You're his son. That's your identity. And this is upside down because we live in a world that bases uh, their views and we base our identity on what we have and God's trying to say that's not your identity Your number one identity is that you're my daughter or you're my son. That's your identity And if you're secure in that guess what you can be a giver Insecure people have a tr have trouble giving 
Secure people love to give because they know God's their source. He's my dad. I'm okay. I can give. But if we're insecure, it's more difficult to give. So Paul's encouraging him. This is your identity. Don't, don't crave that. Crave, be rich toward God. It'll be so much better. We had a fellow who came to our church a number of years ago. We were still meeting in the Landmark Hotel at the time. And he was from Africa. He was a refugee. He came from a very oppressed country, landed in Canada. And uh, like a lot of people knew the country, he lived in downtown Vancouver, ended up living downtown here, and uh, came to church. And after the service, I met, met him. He was tall, charismatic, good-looking. This guy had everything going for him. And he landed here, and he got refugee status. And the government helped him, gave him a place, gave him some money. And he had more money than any of his friends back home. I mean, just what he had as a refugee, he was living a better life than any of his friends back where he came from in Africa. And uh, he, he served in the church, volunteered, and he was just full of life, full of Jesus. He just radiated God. He had gone through so much in his own country, coming to faith in Christ. His whole journey here was a journey of faith, and he was an inspiration to be around. It wasn't long, and he got his own job, and all the paperwork went through, became a Canadian, and, and things really were going well for him. And because he was skilled and outgoing, great people skills, it didn't take long, and he had a good job. And then we started seeing less and less and less, and all of a sudden he disappeared, reached out to him a number of times, and he was gone. A few years later, or I should say a few years ago, he showed up again in church here, and he came up to me, and he said, do you remember me? And I looked at him and said, yeah, I, I remember you. And I called him by his name. I won't mention it. And, and he's like, oh, it's so good to be back here. I says, how have you been? And oh, not so good. And he started to tell me sorrow after sorrow in his life. It was this verse to a T in Timothy. He left his great love for God, and he started to crave things. This, this thing of greed got a hold of him. And instead of being this life of a giver that he came with, it really interrupted his faith walk. And I, I look back, I think, man, what could I have done different to help coach him to make that change? You know, when you come to this country, and if you've been blessed to come into Canada, many of us, most of us, either our generation or previous generation came to this country. You know, sometimes, well, I want to move to Canada because I want my children to have a better education, I, because I, don't, I want to have a country where there's no pollution, or I want to come to Canada because I, I like the healthcare system, or I, can, I have a better life. And, you know, that's not why God brought you to Canada. That's not why God brought your family to Canada. He didn't bring you here for that reason. That would be selfish. He brought us to Canada to be a blessing. That's why we're here. It's not about us. It's not about me. This is about how can I be a blessing to others. So all the resources, all the blessing we have in this nation, all the blessing that we have here, God say, how are you going to steward it? What are you going to do with it? Will it flow through you, or are you going to put it in a reservoir and hoard it? Rivers stay fresh. Reservoirs get stinky. And when we hoard stuff and we keep it all for ourselves, we put it in our storage bins, and we hold on to it, we don't let go of it, our lives get stinky. But if it flows through us, our lives are fresh. The happiest life is the life of a giver. A life of a stingy miser is a miserable life. A happy life is a life of a giver. There's somebody who said, if God can get it through you, he can get it to you. It simply means if you allow it to give, if you allow it to flow through you to others, God will entrust you with more. If you can be faithful, giving a little bit, God said, man, I'll, I'll trust you with more. 
Rich people are those who allow lots of stuff to flow through their lives. And you can be rich in any country of the world. You could be rich in a poor country. You can be rich in a rich country. It's just a matter of how much flows through you to help other people. This is what God looks at. He says to this guy, you're a fool because you're storing it all up, putting in bins, and it's all about you. That's not the way I want you to live. That's a life of greed versus a life of a giver. So let's go to the second thing that we can learn from this parable, and that is don't place your security or your identity in possessions. Life is more than possessions. Would you agree with that? Life's more than possessions. Have we found that out? You know, you say, man, I'm going to feel so much better when I get a new car. And you get a new car, smells nice. Ah, I love that smell of a new car. New plastic smells so good. (laughs) And your new car. And then about, you know, a month later, somebody spilled their coffee in there. The kids dropped french fries in the back seat and... It doesn't smell so good anymore. And six months later, it's like, nah, it's just another car. I mean, the happiness is gone. It's it's not in possessions. It's in a life of a giver. There's something about being able to, the joy. This is, Christianity is sheer joy when we're giving it away. But if we hold on to it, that's when it becomes stale. That's why he said to this guy here, you know what? You need to be challenged because you're placing your security in your possessions. Number three, you've got to move on here. Our time's running out quickly. Number three, give while you have an opportunity. You know, he asks himself, what should I do with all I have? Maybe you've asked that question. What should I do with what I have? Maybe you say, well, I'd like to ask that question. <laughs> I'd like to have a bumper crop. It'd be nice to ask that question. But no matter where we are in life, you can say, well, what should I do with what I have? And this is what he's asking. And God comes along and asks him a question, who will get it all? My question is, what are you going to do with it? And that's the same question he gives us. What will you do with what I've blessed you with? Will you hoard it or will you give it away? Are you willing to be a giver with it? Give while you have an opportunity. God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? I like what John Maxwell said. He said, giving is the highest form of living. It makes the world a better place. We wouldn't be here in downtown Vancouver on the anchor block of the city if somebody didn't give. The pew you're sitting on is because somebody, somebody gave. They said, I, I believe in this. I want to give towards it. We can walk to this church. We can sing here. We don't owe any money on it. Why? Because somebody gave. Not, it was for the next generation. This will be here 100 years from now because somebody gave. If we all said, no, I'm going to keep it to myself, we, we, we couldn't meet here. We wouldn't have baptism. We wouldn't be sending a mission team to the Yukon. They wouldn't have come back from the Ukraine if we wouldn't give. If we wouldn't give, life wouldn't change. So... The idea is to live upside down, live to be a giver. Uh, I put a few other quotes in there for you. Greed is not overcome by avoiding money. Greed is conquered through giving and generosity. There's something that we used to call the Pentecostal handshake. Have you heard about the Pentecostal handshake? (laughs) Pastor Dan's heard about that. Pentecostal handshake is when you come to church with an extra 20 or 50 bucks in your pocket. You put it in your pocket with express, this is what you're thinking. Who can I give this to? I know we bring our tithes and our offerings to church, but you, you just do something a little bit extra. It may not be at church. It may be in your life group. It may be at work. It may be, and you are just kind of got your antennas up, and you're wondering, who has a need today? Who could I buy lunch for? Who could I invite over to my house? Who could I do something over and above? Who could I give to? A lot of times we live, what can I get? How can I get more money? How can I get a raise? How can I, how can I get more? 
And you just change it a bit. Well, who can I give to? But in order to give, you have to be prepared to give. You have to receive to give. So you just start thinking about, well, who could I be a blessing to? Oh, the youth, we've announced that they were going on a trip to the Yukon. And some of those youth had some of you come up to them and you said, I want to give you $50 for your trip. Do you have any idea the difference it makes to them? Number one, they believe the church really believes what they practice what they believe. Two, it's an answer to their prayers and their faith goes to another level. And for some of us, $50 we don't even miss. But for that one young person, it's like, yes. And for somebody else who goes on a mission trip, or it may not be announced. Maybe they're just going through a hard week, single mom, and somebody comes up, shakes their hand, and in their hand's a $100 bill, and say, what's this for? God just put you on my heart. Please just receive it. That's all I want to do is just groceries, whatever you need. I just want to be a blessing to you. And that's just a small example. It could be bigger. It could be smaller. It's just to live with that kind of mentality. One day as I was leaving church here, it was after the service, and I was waiting at the door, and I looked back waiting for Cheryl, and she's at guest services, and she's writing a check. Okay. I wonder what. She's writing a check, and I'm just kind of waiting. And then this couple goes out, and she gives the check to the couple, and I'm, as we're walking down the street, I said, did, did we owe them money? Like, you, you wrote a check for this couple. Did we owe them money? I said, she goes, no, I just felt Holy Spirit talking in my heart. I was supposed to give to them. And I said, well, how, how much was it? <laughs> and she told me the amount. I go, oh, okay. Did you wrestle with giving ever? I mean, I'm just really being transparent. Some days I go like, God, that's kind of quite a bit. Are you sure? Are you sure about we should do that? But this is where you trust God with all your heart and lean not to an understanding. Because normally your mind will try to talk you out of what your heart's telling you. Trust your heart. Trust God. Oh, for that one couple, it made the world of a difference. That little bit of money out of our bank account, it was so worth it to see that couple have tears come down their face that somebody heard God and would think about them and show the love of God. That's pure joy. The joy of living this life of a giver. We were in a season of famine. Have you been in a season of famine? We were in a season of famine. You can have feast or famine when you're working in the oil industry, which we did, and it was a season of famine, and we were at a service, and God seems to pick the most inopportune times to prompt you to give. Not always, but this seemed like inopportune, because the need was presented that there was a missionary couple in interior British Columbia that needed a vehicle, and uh, they were wondering if anybody would be interested in giving their vehicle. And we were in a season of famine, young kids, and our car was paid for, four years old, and I just felt this nudge to give away our car. And then I wrestled with it, God, this cannot be you, and my mind went into high gear, no, this cannot be God, our car's paid for, what would I do if I gave away my car? I mean, we don't have, we'd have to buy another car, we'd have to even borrow money to buy a car, it made no sense to me. One of the greatest reasons we don't give is fear. We're afraid, if we do, we'll lack. But that God's our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. I, so fear is the world's method. Faith is God's method. It takes faith to give because you're really trusting God. Okay, God, if I do this. Paul said to one of the churches in Corinth, in Corinth I believe it was, he said, they gave liberally and even out of their need they gave. 
If it doesn't take faith to give, can I challenge you? Maybe you're just not giving enough. If it, if, you know, if it doesn't even, if you don't even wrestle with it, I, I just dare you. I double-dog dare you. Just pray and say, God, do you want me to up my giving in my life? Do you want me to be more radical in my giving? So we, we I then I, I looked over to Cheryl. I said, Cheryl, I know this sounds really crazy, and, I, and it's probably not God, but I really feel impressed that we're supposed to give away our car. I'm, you know what I'm hoping? I, I hate to admit this. I'm ashamed to admit this, but I was actually hoping she would, say, she would say, Dave, that's a crazy idea. No, we can't do that. She didn't say that. She said, yeah, God spoke the same thing to me. I'm going, oh, great. <laughs> now, I shouldn't admit this, but sometimes you wrestle with giving, and I was wrestling, oh, Lord, do you really want me to do this? Like, I'll do it. I'll be obedient. And the minute we both decided to do it, there was this incredible joy that came from deep within this joy. Yes, we get to do this. And so we gave away our car, gave them this Monte Carlo. It was a couple years old. And the next day, God, what did we do? <laughs> we just gave away our car. But it was a great place to be because we saw the provision of God. And uh, we never looked back. God has always blessed us with a good vehicle. We've never had to be concerned about that. And so we thank God for the privilege of giving. Many more verses we could share with you. I just want to wrap up with the last point. Death is certain. Last time we checked in Canada, just so you know, just the latest stats in Canada, 100% mortality rate. That's uh, just the last stats. So just so you know, in Canada as well, death is certain, and only that which is done for heaven will last. Life goes by pretty quick, and what you've deposited into the kingdom of heaven lasts. This guy, all he had in all those big barns and all the stuff he had stored up, his boats, his computers, his laptops, his wife's shoes, and more shoes, and more shoes, and, and uh, <laughs> more shoes. <laughs> you know, I wonder where he get this from. And this is, oh man, I, I'm, this is really a confession of the pastor this morning. But as I was preparing for this message this morning, or, and yesterday, actually yesterday, this thought came to me. I think sometimes we raise our kids with this. We, we, I'm speaking at myself here. We need to do a better job of raising our kids with this kingdom attitude instead of the world's attitude. And one of the things that as I was looking through this, preparing for it, I was reading about this in our society. PBS did a, uh, a show a few years ago called Affluenza. And it was all about that, this disease of affluenza. I have to have everything. And they... they we're talking about us. I can't, excuse me, I haven't talked to you this about this, Cheryl, but we're just going to throw it out there. Because uh, we bought the same toy they were talking about in the show, and it's a game board for k- girls called Mall Madness. And it teaches kids how to shop. And the whole idea is you get, whoever can get to the most stores and buy the most stuff and get to back to the parking lot, the fastest wins. <laughs> And I thought, oh, dear, I bought that for my kids. <laughs> Where do they get it from? And it is madness. So I have to, I'm not promoting that game. I'm just suggesting we teach our children to be good stewards in a world that's trying to orientate them to consumerism. Because one day we give an account to God. And the most important thing is what we've laid up, that we're rich toward God. I know it's not easy in a world where we have so much. Sometimes I think it's easier to live your faith in adversity than it is in prosperity. 
prosperity can be a harder test of our faith than living in a country where there's nothing. And every day, you and I are tested to live in our faith and not get caught in the trap of greed, but to be givers. So I think the challenge God's giving us today is let's learn, let's live to be givers. I think you'll give us opportunities every week, every day to do that. So let's live that way. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.